Oh, all right. <laughs> all right, Romans 4, 18, 21. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offering, your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning that promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Thank you, brother. Uh, I am honored to be able to invite a very special uh, brother of mine. Come up. Pastor Dave, can you come up here? Um, this is Pastor Dave Harvey, and we are honored to have him in town to be able to preach as part of an exciting weekend here. And uh, you can go look up his bio if you want. He uh, leads a lot of different groups, so it would take too much uh, space here. But one thing I wanted to highlight, he's, he leads, um, if you're aware or not, we are part of a, a larger network called Soldier Network that exists to really uh, move the mission of Christ throughout by planting churches. And Pastor Dave Harvey, he's the executive director of Sojourn. So he's been just a great mentor for me, someone I can learn from a lot of just so much wisdom from, uh, it's not saying he's old, but years of being able to serve Christ in good ways. So he's been a tremendous brother to me. If you don't even know, he's encouraging you because the work he does is encouraging me in our church. So we're honored to have him preach for us this morning. So why don't we welcome him warmly? Good morning. I want to thank you for receiving me so warmly. I've been really looking forward to being with you, and I've been so enjoying getting to know Dan. He, he's the kind of guy that the more you get to know him, the more you respect him, and uh, you've got to respect how much he can fit in on a Sunday service. I mean, this is like Olympian, all of the things that we're covering this morning. So, uh, yeah, Dan, Dan mentioned that I, I work with a group called Sojourn Network, and uh, if that doesn't mean anything to you, I completely understand that. It's, it, Sojourn Network is a group of, of, of pastors, um, broken pastors, uh, earthy pastors, um, guys who are seeking to be humble, who, who love the local church but believe that their leadership is going to be stronger and their churches are going to be stronger if they bind themselves together with other folks and they have a place to go for training and for counseling and, and somebody to call in case there's a crisis. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a place where they can go to be sharpened on, on mission and on counseling and the things that are important to, to local church pastors. But, uh, but Sojourn Network is also, it's also churches, churches that want to plant churches and by the grace of God, we are planting churches together, and you guys are a meaningful part of that. There's, there's 11 churches right now that are being supported, which means 11 church planters that are being supported all over the United States because of the partnership that, that we share together and because of the giving that goes into Sojourn Network. So we're not a big group. You know, we're, we don't regard ourselves as exceptionally talented but we are trying to be faithful, and uh, I sure am grateful that we get to do this with churches like The Village and, and guys like Dan. So, so thank you for being a part of it, and, uh, and thanks for, for receiving me warmly this morning. I'm really grateful to be here. And we go to Romans chapter 4 together. 
Romans 4. The title of this morning's message is Faith for Barren Times. And the passage has already been read, so let me, let me begin by telling you a little bit about a man named Abram. So Abram had lived 75 years. That's three-quarters of a century. He was healthy, wealthy, happy, and surrounded by extended family when God kind of interrupts his rather settled existence one day and says to him, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you and I will make a great nation of you. I mean, imagine that. A, a great nation springing from a man with no kids. How does that work? But Scripture records that Abram obeyed. He uprooted his family and he went forth. Hebrews chapter 11 says, and he went not knowing where he was going. And as he journeyed, he waited. Every week, every month, he waited. Each year, he waited. He waited for that promise from God to be fulfilled. So several years later, God kind of drops by in a dream, a vision. Abraham is in a point of his life where he's anguished. Uh, he's, he's still childless. There's, there's no heir to his name. I, I just imagine him thinking, great nation. I mean, great. What, all I have is this nephew, Lot, and I don't even like him very much. And, and, and I would just settle for, you know, a nice pet, maybe a good neighborhood. What's all this great nation stuff all about? And Scripture records that God took him outside and, and bid him to look up to the heavens and to number the stars. And God said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Scripture says Abram believed God in that moment, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that would be a great story if it just ended right there. You know, if that was the point of punctuation, if that was the point of climax, and everything just kind of resolved in that moment. But all of that was before what I like to think of as the long wait. You know, the first couple of years weren't so bad. But, you know, after seven or eight years, what happens is the memory grows grows dull. You begin to think, did that really happen? You know, that whole thing with God speaking to me and me having this vision, did that really happen? I mean, Sarah is still barren. Abram is just aging. At year 10, mistakes were made. Sarah had to know, is it him or is it me? I really want to know. So she pushes Hagar on Abram as his wife. Abram capitulates. Ishmael is conceived. Arab history begins. But Ishmael is not the promised one. Another 14 years pass. God returns. God reaffirms his promise. God changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. Changes Sarai's name from Sarai to Sarah. So Abram has been changed to Abraham, which means father of many, to father of a multitude. Abram is now 99. Sarai is 100, or she's 89. 
She's been through menopause. She has one child, and it's not hers. It's not the promised child. How long will they wait? A year later, 25 years after the promise, Isaac is born. Now, those, that, that's the story behind the words in Romans chapter 4. And what's happening in Romans is that Paul is, is building this case for a righteousness that comes through faith alone. But it's here in chapter 4 of Romans that what Paul does is he introduces his strongest and most stunning piece of evidence for the position that he's putting forward. What he does is he takes Abraham, the father of their faith, Abraham, the beginning of the Jewish lineage, and he offers him as exhibit A for saving faith. But here's the thing. While chapter 4 of Romans is certainly about a faith that saves, it's certainly about a faith that justifies, we are instructed in chapter 4 of Romans about the nature of faith itself. Because the faith that justifies also portrays a faith that pleases God. The faith that justifies also portrays a faith that helps us to persevere while we're waiting for our own promises. So what I want to do together is I want to kind of dissect Abraham's faith and take a look at it and what it was so that we can see and cry out to God for what it should be in our life as well. So I see three different parts to Abraham's faith. The first one being believing the promise. Believing the promise. Look again at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham had been told something by God. He had been told, you will become a father. You will have a son. And so what we are told in verse 18 is that faith responds by investing trust in the words of God and standing on the promise of God as if it's a guaranteed future reality that hasn't Come, become available yet, that hasn't come about yet. Trusting God more than anything else, trusting God even more than having a spiritual experience. And I say that because it's such a temptation to say, well, yeah, I mean, I get it. If, if God came and spoke to me from the heavens like he did with Abraham, chatted with me about my future, I think I could believe him as well. You know, as if true faith ultimately rests on the memory of just having a supernatural experience with God. But the problem is, when we study Scripture, we always find that memories fade. They faded for Israel. They faded for the kings. They faded for the prophets. They fade for you. I know they fade for me. I mean, I was in our small group not long ago, and small group leader knew that Kim and I had an anniversary coming up, and so he just, he just says, says to, to Kim and I, Hey, why don't you guys tell us a memory of, of your wedding day? I and mean, we've been married 34 years. A memory of your wedding day. And so he's looking at me, 
And, uh, and, I, and I begin to think, and I'm trying to like boot up that, that file. I'm trying to pull up that file. And I, and I look at Kim, and she's, she's blank as well. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? I mean, most significant day of my life, I'm getting nothing. I look down at my hand, there's a ring on my finger. I know, okay, I know I'm married. But for some reason, there's a big drop-off between that day and this moment where I'm being called upon to reproduce a memory. See, memories fade. And what I'm trying to say is that Abraham didn't, didn't stand on the memory of an experience, even an important experience. God spoke, he believed, and he drove his stake of confidence right there. Now, now for us, the promises of God are contained and preserved in the word of God. Listen, if you're not working your Bible it's impossible to grow in faith. And I think about that passage that, that verifies that in Romans chapter 10 where it says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes by hearing through the word of Christ. Now, what I want to do is I just want to take this first point. We're talking about believing the promises and how, how Abraham believed the promise. And that was the first step, the first expression of his faith. Let's just take this point And apply it a little bit. In fact, let's talk about it from the context of Romans chapter 4 of justification by faith. Maybe maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, I look at my past. I I look at my sins. In fact, I, I look at this week and some of the things I thought, maybe even some of the things I did. And I wonder, how could God accept me? I feel disqualified. I feel stained. I feel polluted. I feel ashamed. I feel disowned. You see, what Romans 4 does for us, what the word of God, what the promise of God does for us, is that it announces a righteousness that comes from outside of our feelings, outside of our experiences, and is counted to us because what Christ has accomplished upon the cross. We didn't read this. It wasn't flashed up. But in verse 23, it says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Listen to this. But for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So this is, it's counted to us as well. You may feel it this morning. You may not feel it this morning. Something may have been incited in you during worship. Maybe you feel nothing. But it is a promise given to us by the word of God that we stand upon. Let me switch it up. Maybe, maybe you're in a season of extended trial right now. Maybe you've, you've lost your job or there's unexpected expenses. And, and you know, you're beginning to feel that, that gnawing anxiety inside of your stomach. It's just there in the pit of your stomach. Maybe it wakes you up in the middle of the night. And if you're anything like me, you can find yourself just being, like, preoccupied with the scenarios of your own demise. You know, you're fomenting the fears and turning them over and worrying and... and See, what what happens in that moment is faith doesn't say, God, I'm feeling anxiety, appear to me in a vision right now. No, faith says, God has revealed himself to me 
in his word. So let me go to his word and let me, let me hear his promises. Maybe we go to Matthew chapter 6 where we remember, therefore don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll add all those things. That's the promise of God. He'll add all those things. See, here's the challenge is that to be alive is to have voices speaking. Our fears speak. Our circumstances speak. Our enemies speak. Our suffering speaks. And and what God's word says is that faith trusts what God says about our future more than what those voices say in the present. Faith trusts what God's promises say about our future more than what those voices say in the present. And so the question we have to wrestle with is what voices matter most to us right now? And Abraham understood that. He had to wrestle through that. It says in verse 21 that that he, he ultimately wrestled to have a settled conviction Because he believed it was God's word and God's word alone. He became fully convinced, Scripture says, that God was able to do what he had promised. Because it was God's word that he stood on. So he believed the promise. Second point. Abraham embraced the circumstances. He embraced the circumstances. Listen to verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. What I love about this description is that it really does link faith to reality. Because because you listen to this description in verse 19, and there is no denial of the problems, there is no dumping of the evidence, There is no political spin on the depth of the problem. I mean, this whole passage starts out in verse 18 saying, in hope he believed against hope, which is just another way to say things were pretty hopeless. And I love love verse 19 because there's no attempt to avoid the raw truth because the raw truth might reinforce negative thoughts in us or might stir unbelief. You know, there's a body of faith teaching that assumes that voicing the reality of something is somehow empowering the problem or emboldening the enemy. And it makes Christians appear at times like, I don't know, lunatics? You know, where we deny the reality of how bad something really is to appear as if we have faith? I mean, isn't this a refreshing passage? He didn't weaken in faith when he's honestly considering his own body. He's looking at it and says, yeah, it's it's as good as dead. I'm about 100 years old. You know, Abraham is considering the circumstances. He's considering the reality of it. And he sees, well, you know what? Honestly, it ain't pretty. But Abraham's saying, I look in the mirror at my body and it's as good as dead. Now, because he's a guy, he's saying, yeah, it's a dashing kind of hip kind of dead. You know, it's a... Better than any other hundred-year-old kind of dead. But it's dead. He says, I look at my wife, Sarah, and she's 90 years old, and she's barren. I love her. She's beautiful. She's barren. She's a barren babe, but she's barren. 
So listen, this is what this section is meant to communicate. Don't, don't miss the point and the punch of this. The point is, you look at Abraham, it's impossible. You look at Sarah, it's incomprehensible. Everywhere you look is dead. There's no seed, no life, no hope, no way. The circumstances speak as a jury. They come back and the verdict rings out, says impossible. There is no life. There can be no life. Do you see what's being said here? Abraham believed when there was no life. When there was no sign of life. There was no chance for change. Everything was dead. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have any areas where you are burdened by an absence of life? Where when you look at the circumstances and you do verse 19, where you get gut level honest and, and they just reveal an utter barrenness. Where you just realize that there's no chance, there's no hope. Do, do you have any areas like that? You know, maybe you've been praying for the, the same person for years. And when you get honest, you say, yeah, there's, there's really been no change There's no change, no interest, no life. Or maybe you feel like God is calling you to to stretch towards something. Maybe it's to stretch to to give to the poor or or, or to give for this or to give to the church. And yet you you look at your bank account and you realize there is no extra. There's no buffer. There's no miracles. There's no money. There's no No life. Maybe you look at your child, or maybe some of you have, have, have younger kids, and, but you know some, maybe it's your brother, your sister, or an uncle, and, and, and they were once a Christian. They said they were a Christian. In other words, there are people that seem like they've been given so much by God, and yet they're bearing so little fruit for God, and you look at their situation honestly, and you say, you know, when I get gut level honest and I look at them, there is no zeal, no heart, no interest, no life. All around me is barrenness. Everything is dead. Who can relate to that? God says, Abraham can relate to that. And by the way, this wasn't just like a short trial. You know, you you start to get a little older and you realize that trials in the Christian life, you know, they kind of come in clusters and they last a few years, two, three years, and then they subside and you move on and, 25 years. In fact, God intentionally waited until it all seemed too late. He's 100, she's 90. Think about it. The problem here is not just barrenness, but age. It's not just the absence of life. You know, how can I say this delicately? It's the inability to produce life by either the man or the woman. His body is as good as dead. Her condition, utterly barren. It's all there intentionally. Remember verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope. In other words, God brought him to a place where it was evident to them and everyone else, this is way beyond man. This is way beyond me. This is way beyond my ability to lead. Have you been in a situation like that before? Where you feel like you've done absolutely everything and there's still no life. 
absolutely everything, and there's no forward momentum. It's beyond your leadership. It's beyond your best thinking. It's beyond all the counsel that you've received. You know, we, we all have that, that relative, that, that child, or, or that situation where we just don't know where they are, but there is no life. And we throw everything we have at them. We throw everything we can. And yet the best that we can muster just doesn't seem to produce. See, that's where Abraham was. That's where Sarah was. That ultimately, if there was going to be any change whatsoever, it had to come from some kind of outside supernatural intervention. It had to be something that came from God and God alone. So they embraced the circumstance. They got gut level honest. They called it what it was. And they recognized that this has to come from God. That was point number two. And point number three is sustaining the trust. Sustaining the trust. Verse 20 tells us a little bit more about how this transformation took place. Look at it. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Abraham came to a place where it was the unchanging circumstances that ultimately altered his faith. In other words, God met him in the barrenness of the situation. And that's where he began to change. See, this is so provoking to me because oftentimes my faith sparks upon some hopeful sign in the situation. And I see something in there that indicates, okay, we're making progress. Oh, there's some forward momentum. There's some change. And then I move from that to thinking, okay, God is at work. Abraham had none of that. He had no no hopeful sparks that he was keying off of. The trigger for change was not something in the situation. It was simply the promise of God. And so what happened was Abraham gave glory for the promises of God before the promise was fulfilled. And he stood on the word of God rather than the circumstances. And so there was a slow change that took place in Abraham's life. It says, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. He didn't start strong in his faith. He grew strong in his faith. How did he grow strong? As he gave glory to God. So think about what's going on here. Situation doesn't change. In fact, it's really bad. In fact, when he looks at it, it's totally dead and there's no change. What does he do? He gives glory to God. He grew strong in his faith. How? He gave glory to God. So as he's thanking God, as he's giving glory to God, something's happening in his soul. Something's being sparked. Something's being stirred. Something's being inspired. His faith is growing strong. See, his circumstances didn't change. His faith did. His faith grew strong. There was a sustained trust that he exercised. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it pleases God to fix a pain and a promise in your life at the same time? And to have that pain play out over a long period of time, 
I, I mean, remember Abram. That name means father of many. That's what he was named as a baby, Abram. So, I mean, you can just imagine as a kid, that name to him was a source of pride. I mean, that name is like a, a proclamation of a prodigious future over a young kid, which is just another way to say that this is a guy who expected to have tons of kids, strapping boys and, you know, dainty girls. And that was, that was his vision for the future. That was what was pronounced over him through the name that was given him. And so Abram takes a bride, and they start their life together, and the kids don't come. Every month, every year, every time there's an expectation, the kids don't come. Facebook profile reads, father of many, still no kids. Kids don't come. I imagine it was worse when the caravans came through. See, Abram was a wealthy man. He owned the wells of water for many miles around. It was customary back in those days for the travelers that would come into the land to pay a well-use fee, and then they would visit the owner of the wells. And there was this inevitable kind of customary exchange that would take place where the traveler would come into the presence of the owner, and he would say, what is your name? probably happened thousands of times to Abram. What is your name? He would say. I am Abram. Oh, father of many. Congratulations, father of many. Where are your sons and and how many children have you? I have none. Thousands of times. I have none. There might be some of you here that can relate to the pain, to the disappointment, to the monthly demoralizing morass of wanting but not having children, or somebody that you love once but doesn't have children, and each time they are asked, they respond like Abram and Sarai, we have none. Actually, eventually it became so bad for this couple that Sarai pushes him into the arms of another another woman, perhaps even out of the bitterness of wanting to see who was really at fault here. Let's see who lacks life here. You go to her and we'll find out whether this is your issue or my issue. Sure, Sure, there was a promise, but it took 25 years. At year 24, all he had was Ishmael. There was nothing. God changed his name from Abraham, father, from Abram, father of many, to Abraham, father of a multitude. He's being upgraded in his name, and all he has is a son of a slave and a promise. But let's not sanitize this. You know, let, please don't imagine that this wasn't a source of shame and difficulty, that this wasn't, they weren't the object of rude comments. And misunderstood feelings and things said from their parents and from their their relatives. And ultimately, it created a work that was so deep, a confidence that was so great. When this child that they had waited 25 years for, that they were willing to sacrifice this child. Confident that God would raise him from the dead. 
and foreshadowing another who would come where the Father would not spare the Son, but the Son would be thrust through with the sins of his people, and he would be crushed by the wrath of the Father. He would not be spared. You know, what it makes me want to do is to just ask you, you know, how this is hitting you. And, and, and how do you think you're doing in this season between the promise and the fulfillment in your own life? Are, are, you, are you patiently waiting for God? Or have you been conceiving an Ishmael? You know, in, in Galatians 4, Paul says that Ishmael symbolizes a child of the flesh, which means it, it, it's like a self-sufficient choice that displaces God. It's, it's those times where we say, you know what, God, I'm done with the waiting thing. Uh, you, you, you try to sell the waiting thing to somebody else. I'm done. I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to go out and I'm going to make something happen. See, Ishmael's are conceived when impatience marries unbelief. Ishmael is the child. So we can't afford it. We don't really need it. But we want it, and so we slap a credit card down, and we buy it, and we've been paying for it ever since. You know, it's, it's Ishmael with interest. Or, you know, he's not a Christian, but, but she's, so, she's so close, and she seems to believe in Jesus, and he seems to be leaning in that direction, and so I'll go ahead and I'll marry him or her. And I've been living with that mistake ever since. You know, it's, it's Ishmael with irreconcilable differences. And, you know, let's be honest, for some of us, our Ishmaels stare at us each and every day, a daily reminder of the fruitlessness of our own effort, of what is born, what is conceived When we push God out of the way, we say we're not going to wait. We say we're going to take it into our own hands. But listen, if that thought discourages you, I want you to think about this. Abraham, and this is unbelievable, Abraham is offered in Scripture as someone who got faith right. And Ishmael is embedded in his story. In other words, Abraham is not offered as somebody who is perfect in Scripture. In fact, he exists to point forward to somebody who ultimately would come and would be perfect. And it's because Jesus came and Jesus lived that perfect life and Jesus died that substitutionary death and he rose on the third day that the authority and the power to redeem us is in his hands and that he can reverse the effects of Ishmael in our life to transform us from the impact of Ishmael, which means that our fleshly choices, those places where we just didn't trust God, no longer need to define us. They no longer longer need to name us. It means we don't need to spend years trying to atone for our mistakes and our sins. That we can look to the atonement of another. And we can remember that like Abraham, yes, honestly, our Ishmaels may live on. But but they're written into a, 
into a larger story that passes right through the cross and redeems us despite our mistakes and despite our failures and despite our Ishmael's. And Abraham trusted this. It's how he was able to grow strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And my prayer for all of us this morning is may God help us, help us to be more convinced that he is able to do what he has promised. And may he help us to give glory to him right here, right now, today. Not because our circumstances have changed, but because our faith has. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you are the God that transforms transforms even the dumb mistakes we make, the impatience that we exert, and the Ishmaels we conceive. Lord, help us to have faith for these circumstances that, are, that seem unchanging and to be able to trust you and wait for you to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.